Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website, www.exchangechurch.org.au. We are going through the book of Revelation, and we've got a few messages left to go there to finish off, and at a very pointy end of the book, today's a very uh, challenging message as we think about uh, the final destination for all people who reject Jesus. Uh, Perhaps to help set the scene for where we're going here, um, have you ever heard someone in the midst of their desperate cries or their desperate times say something like this, I just feel like I'm going through hell. I just feel like this is never ending and I just, can this get any worse? It just feels like I'm in the middle of hell at this time. You may have heard people say that. Or others who've been through a bushfire inferno and you might see the news headlines sort of plastered across TV or the newspaper, you know, to hell and back. Yeah, it's something that we use as an expression to sort of express difficult times or suffering or torment or pain, but hell is a real and literal place. More than just perhaps something we use to describe something, it is a real and literal place. It's something we must think about as the church. And also something we must think about too is what God has done for us so that we don't have to go to this real and literal place called hell. If you've got your Bibles, go to Revelation chapter 14. We're going to read a short passage and then we're going to go across to another verse as well. So chapter 14 and we're going to read from verses 9 through to 11. Starting at verse 9, and another angel, a third, followed them saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lord, And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. And they have no rest day or night, these worshippers of the beast and its image and whoever receives the mark of its name. And just jump across to chapter 21, verse 8 as well. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulphur, which is the second death. Lord, we thank you that we can come today and we thank you, Lord, that we can gather. We thank you, God, for your word that is living and eternal. We ask and pray, Holy Spirit, as we talk about this most uh, sobering of uh, teachings in your word we ask holy spirit please settle our hearts and settle our minds right now as we begin to think on this whatever pre conditioning or presuppositions we may have about hell i just ask let your word speak into our hearts and let your spirit bring it alive to us now and may it cause us to stop May it cause us to look up to a gloriously holy God and worship you, Lord, for all that you've done for us. God, we ask for your help now. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
this teaching of the Bible is probably almost forgotten about today in many, many churches or, or it's avoided or it's avoided because it just seems too uncomfortable to speak about. How can we, how can we possibly speak about this? Uh, hell isn't a topic that we actually should think about with lightness or frivolity. Uh, hell isn't something we just take like blasé, like just part of our life. It's a bit like when you drive down the freeway and you set your cruise control on, you don't see the speed signs after all, you just sort of go past them without even looking at them. Well, hell shouldn't be like that. We should think really seriously about this. Perhaps with all the seriousness that we can muster as we think about this real uh, truth that Jesus spoke about. It actually has been said, and it's true, that Jesus spoke more about hell than he did about heaven. You might find that a bit surprising, but if you take a real slow reading through the New Testament and record the times he spoke about either final judgment or hell, if you think about those times and then record the times he spoke about heaven, you'll actually find he spoke more about hell than he did about heaven. It's a real thing. So what's John doing? John's recording a vision here of Jesus Christ that he received on the island of Patmos while he was in exile for being a follower of Christ. Jesus is showing John things, he's like giving him windows or visions of the present and the future and Jesus is also telling John things as well at the same time. Uh, John's writing to a suffering and struggling uh, struggling group of followers of Jesus, uh, seven churches of Asia Minor, And they're being persecuted for their faith. For simply following Jesus, they're being harassed. Some of them are being killed. So John writes to them to encourage them and to strengthen them to persevere in this faith, uh, in these difficult days, by remaining faithful to Jesus, no matter what they're facing, no matter what they're dealing with. John's writing this to encourage them and to strengthen them. And here in this passage here, John writes of the final destination for all people who reject Jesus as their Lord. Uh, we're told there in verses 9 and 11, that first reading that we had, that all those who receive the mark of the beast and worship it will be the ones who will suffer under God's right wrath. Now, as we said probably three or four talks back, and you can go back to our YouTube channel to find that there, uh, worshipping and receiving the mark of the beast simply means you're identifying with this world and following its way of life. You're actually identifying with this world and you're falling in line with that and you're not going to follow the way God's called us to live. So when you receive this mark of the beast, it's not a literal tattoo on your hand, it's an identification that I'm with the world, I'm following the world and I'm walking its path. That's the setting there, the context. Uh, today, here's where we're going. Um, hell is the final, eternal destination for all people who continue in their willful rejection and resistance of God and who will experience His punishment and torment forever. Forever. Now, we may have lots of questions about hell. Lots of, I'm not sure, is it really? Can it be? Uh, This week I actually read an article written by a Christian writer, or supposedly Christian writer, and and the topic of the heading of the article was the absurdity of hell. The absurdity of hell. We, We may have questions like, surely a God of love couldn't have such a place where people suffer under His wrath forever? That might be a question that rolls around in our mind. Or, 
isn't this doctrine of hell or this teaching of hell, isn't it something from the fire and brimstone preachers of a hundred years ago who, who focused on this? Is, isn't that what it is, something like a hundred years ago? Or is the Bible serious about hell? Is Jesus serious about hell or is it just a little scare tactic that Jesus is using? Is it really serious here what, what Jesus is talking about? Well, there is. There's a full and final judgment of our lives to come at the end of time. The Bible's really, really clear about that. This is where all people, without exception, come before the great judgment seat of God. Everybody will be at that seat. This is where the record of your life and my life, of every word, every action and every thought will be played back, all of it. A time where we'll have to give an account to God of all that we've done in our bodies, words, deeds and thoughts. Not a moment of our lives will be missed, not a word will be missed, not a thought will be missed, all those secret thoughts that no one else has seen, they'll all be exposed. When we thought nobody was watching or listening, God was there God saw it all. And for all those who've lived in defiance of God and rejected Jesus as Lord, at that particular time they will hear these really fearful words. Depart from me, I never knew you. Depart from me. Depart from me the Lord will say, for those who've rejected him. Friends, hell is right. Hell is right. Tell me, what do you do with people who refuse to fit in with community for the well-being and the harmony of peaceful relationships within that community? What do you do with people who refuse to actually fit in with that? And they... We'll get there, Jared. What do we do? Or what do you do if somebody who habitually lies and deceives people time after time after time, taking their money and ripping them off an investment, they just move from one person to the next person? What what do you do with those people who keep doing that? Or what do you do with a compulsive thief continually stealing from people and never ever changes their ways? What, What do you do with somebody who just keeps doing that? Or what do you do with somebody who blatantly keeps on drink driving and endangering other people's lives and never stops, just continually goes back and perhaps even causing lots of accidents? What do you do with those sort of people that are like that? What do you do with them if they have no intention of changing their ways? Or they have no intention or no desire whatsoever to reform? What, what do you do with those people for the sake of the community? Well, we, as Jared just said, we have a justice system. We have a justice system that actually works through that for all those who don't comply with the laws of the land to help make a peaceful community. And in that justice system, we actually have what we call prisons, where we need to remove those people from the community for the well-being of the community so the community can remain in law and order and peaceful and harmonious relationships. And we think that's right, don't we? You can't have somebody there constantly disrupting or constantly just running roughshod and disrupting all sorts of people's lives, we think, no, they need to be removed from that so the community can be kept in a harmonious and peaceful way. 
we all agree that prisons are right. It's for our safety. Hell is no different. Hell is no different. What is hell? Hell is God's eternal prison for all those who willfully break his laws and have no desire whatsoever to change their ways. Hell is his place that he's put there to see that the community of God's people are kept in peace and kept in law and kept in order. Hell is right. Hell is good in that it removes all unholy people that would seek to disrupt and rebel against God's kingdom and puts them in another place. As hard as it may sound, as hard as it is, hell is right and hell is good. Well, what is hell like? Our passage tells us here it's a place of torment. In verses 9 and 11, we saw that word there a couple of times. Verse 10, it says they will be tormented with fire and sulfur. And verse 11, the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. You see that word torment there. What is torment? It can be described as anguish, pain, misery or torture. Now, from the outside, I can't possibly describe the depths of torment and suffering that will be experienced in hell. Never in a million years could I come close to actually even scratching the surface of how bad hell can possibly be. We just haven't got the the words or the experience to give that. But the Bible does give us some description of what hell is like. Again, these come from the, the, the lips of Jesus. He's the one who spoke the most about hell while he was here on earth. So we're just going to explore a couple of things here that actually what Jesus says about everlasting hell. Firstly, in Matthew 25:30, uh, it talks there about outer darkness and the gnashing of teeth. A number of times that Jesus refers to hell, he refers to this as the outer darkness. A place where the light of life has eternally gone out a place of darkness let me ask you this how do you feel when you go outside on on a pitch black night it's it's interesting when you go out your backyard in the full light of day you feel great you feel fine but when you go out and it's pitch black it's something's changed hasn't it the yard hasn't changed but it's like the atmosphere has changed it's like there's something feeling creepy about it and there's something sort of dark about it there's something that's sort of crushing and 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 heavy about it but nothing's changed other than light and darkness what is light Uh, light is like something that gives you good and it gives you sort of health and it gives you vitality but then there's darkness that feels like this crushing and it's heavy we crave the light and not the dark well jesus is telling here hell is a place of darkness this crushing experience of darkness. Jesus also says it's a gnashing of teeth. This gnashing of teeth is a, is a phrase that speaks of rage and anger. If you're familiar with Stephen being martyred, it's like the, the guys there before they actually threw the stones were gnashing the teeth in rage. So there's is this picture here of gnashing of teeth in hell, which is of perpetual anger and rage. It's a place that is full of anger and rage. There'll be no let up to this rage. There'll be no breaks of peace or respite away from rage and anger that is brewing eternally in hell. 
people will be in a rage with God in this place. They'll be raging in anger towards Him. They'll be raging in anger towards each other in this place called hell. And that rage will never be satisfied. It'll just rage within and we can never actually satisfy that rage in any particular way. It will just go on with this increasing anger, this rising anger on and on and on and on in hell. Jesus speaks about hell in Mark uh, chapter 9 verse 48 and he says there, where the worm doesn't die. What does Jesus mean there when he says the worm doesn't die? As I've thought about this week and I've done reading in the past about this, I think what Jesus is talking about here in hell is the worm of conscience. The worm of conscience like just eating away at the inside of us, persistently eating away. In other words, it's like this accusing voice, this condemning voice in our conscience, just eating away in our minds, declaring our guilt. Now, a guilty conscience is a torment, isn't it? When you feel that sense of guilt, it just torments you, it crushes you. Here's a comment from John Blanchard that spoke about this Richard III, who was um, uh, tormented by a guilty conscience. It was said of Richard III, having murdered two of his nephews in 1483, in order to usurp the English throne for himself, he was so tormented by his conscience that he often used to get up in the middle of the night and take up his sword to fight off the evil spirits he felt were tormenting him. It's, it's the guilt that just crushes us on the inside. It's just, and we can't shift it. This Richard III who killed two of his nephews so he could get to the throne, he would wake in the middle of the night with such a tormented conscience that he took up his sword to fight off the evil spirits that were just tormenting him through his guilty conscience. In hell, there'll be a conscience or there'll be a voice that'll be constantly accusing us with guilt and we'll be so racked with that guilt that the torment will be unbearable. A crushing load of guilt. There'll be such a sense of guilt before God, mixed in with rage and all the other things, that it'll crush us. It'll never diminish. It'll never go away. The voice will never quieten. The worm will just never die. It'll just keep eating away at our minds. It'll keep saying, guilty, 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 guilty. What else does Jesus say about hell? Well, it's a place of separation. Luke chapter 16, which Louis read for us before there, is the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. It's a separation from all that is good, all that is good. Abraham says to the rich man, uh, Abraham says to the rich man, remember in your life, lifetime you had all your good things, but now in hell that you are in agony and you are separated from all that is good. You experience it while you're on earth, but now you're separated from all that is good. What will hell be? Hell will be a full and final separation from all that is good. All that is good. Whatever goodness of God you've experienced in this life will absolutely be removed when you're in hell. You won't know any element of goodness whatsoever in this place. Separated from it. Light and life. Joy and laughter. 
peace and rest will be completely removed from us in hell. Not knowing that in the slightest degree, utterly separated from all good things. Now that's, that's hard for us to imagine, really hard for us to imagine, because we do experience sad and desperate times and every one of us go through that, but, but those times are also sprinkled with times of relief, perhaps of some joy or some peace amidst those desperately broken times. But in hell there will be no release from that, there will be no relief from that, it will be utterly separated from all that is good. It will only be bad and real bad. Try and imagine that. It'll be unbearable. Jesus also says the fire never goes out in hell. Uh, Mark 9.48 again. Is that a literal fire? I mean, sometimes we see that. Maybe. Somehow are we fitted with the bodies that will forever be on fire but never burn up? Maybe. I don't think so. I don't think that's what Jesus means here. If we think about what is fire? It's, it's a consuming, it's an all-encompassing element, isn't it? When, when something is set on fire like you would have, you just lit it on fire and the fire just spreads everywhere. It just goes all over the place. Hopefully it remains in the wood heap though. It's what it does. It consumes everything. So I think here, when Jesus talks about fire, that I think he may mean this. Just as fire has this all-encompassing and all-consuming presence about it, so does God have this very complete, all-encompassing presence. And I think what Jesus means is this. God will be present in hell. God will be present in hell. God will not be experienced though in his goodness in hell, but in his terrible majesty of justice is what we'll experience of God in hell. A passage in verse 10 says that this torment will take place in the presence of the Lamb. The presence of the Lamb. God will be there in hell. So it's not quite right to say that hell is a place where we are absolutely separated from God. No, God will be there, but it will be the terrible presence of God, the, the fearful presence of God in hell. Now, I don't think Jesus and God will be there with some sort of sadistic attitude of gleefully looking on while people are suffering. I don't believe that for the slightest moment. But God in his perfection will be present in hell, carefully meeting out all of his justice for eternity. Hell is a fearful, fearful place. Now, this is a true saying. The only heaven that unbelievers will ever know is the taste of God's goodness here upon earth for the duration of their lives. And if they've rejected Jesus as an unbeliever, then they'll experience hell forever. They'll experience a very small touch of heaven, God's goodness here upon earth now. And the, the, the only hell that followers of Jesus will ever experience is the brokenness that we experience in this world. And then when our life is complete and we cross over that line into eternity, we'll experience only everlasting joy and peace. Two experiences there. Actually, Jonathan Edwards said this in a sermon in 1742. He says this, For the unrighteous and the righteous, 
eternity would be spent in the immediate presence of God. God will be the hell of one and God will be the heaven of the other. God will be there. I think this unquenchable fire is the fearful presence of God which will be a torment to all in hell, in God's perfections. Just a really small dose there of the torments and the sufferings of hell. But it doesn't end there. There's another another dynamic here as we think about hell and that dynamic is it's eternal. It will never end. It will go on and on and on and on, never stopping. Look in verse 11 again, it says there, and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever and they have no rest day or night. It's not going to end. Now, we, we can't comprehend that. We just can't think in infinite terms. Our mind is not able to have that capacity to compute an existence without time. You all got here today at 10am and some of you got here at 8am because we're all dictated to by watch. Tomorrow you'll go to work. We live time bound. But there's an eternity coming where this will never end. And what we have to see about each other here is this that every single living person is an eternal being. Every single one of us in this world is an eternal. We are made in the image of God and part of the image of God that we are made is we are eternal beings. We will never cease to exist. If someone talks about annihilation like we are annihilated as an existence, that is not true. We are eternal beings. Death does not end our existence. Death ends the existence of this body that you see and the body that you're moving around and the vehicle that God's given to you, but death doesn't end the eternal soul that God's given to each and every one of us. We will live forever. We will always exist. So the punishment here of hell and the pain of hell, it will never end. There will be no rest day or night. We will not cease to exist. And this also means that we will never get used to the sufferings of hell. Oh, I reckon after a million years I'll have a pain threshold and I'll be able to get through it all. You won't build up a pain threshold. You won't sort of about overcome the top of it and, yeah, and I'll be the man that can stand up to it. That will not happen in hell. You cannot block it out or not feel its suffering. Just like God is infinite in his, in his terrors, so also will his suffering be infinite, never-ending. Somehow in God's infinite power and ability, I'm convinced that the torments of hell will be a wave after wave after wave of increased fear or guilt or rage or isolation and all manner of suffering. God will be able to do that. Moment after moment, these moments will not, these, these elements of pain and suffering will not sort of just sit to a neutral zone. Somehow they will just keep intensifying as God meets his right justice out upon all those who've rebelled against him. And we will be constantly reminded with one word in the middle of all that pain and suffering forever. Forever. 
forever. Forever. Two million years later, forever. This is not ending. This is getting worse. It will not end. Now, as I said, I can't even communicate perhaps the smallest depth here of hell's horrors. I've given some some light sprinklings there, but it it really is beyond human comprehension and, and human communication to say, this is how bad it is. This is how terrible it is. I think the writer of Hebrews probably gets it when he says here in Hebrews 10.31, he says, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God if you're a rebel who's rejecting Jesus and resisting him. What's John doing here as he he talks to these uh, seven churches? He's reminding his readers here of the last stop for the bus in human life when it comes to an end when you die the bus pulls up turns off the engine everybody gets out and they meet God the ride's over and if we've refused Jesus everlasting hell awaits every single person so quite clearly this is a warning passage for us isn't it It's a warning passage. And warnings are good things for us. They are really good. They actually save lives. This is what warnings do. They actually save lives. What would happen if we entered into sort of mountain driving and there was no warning signs on the roads or the bends ahead of us? And you come to the first bend and it's a 15 kilometre hour hairpin bend turn and you've got no idea. You just hit it at 100 kilometres an hour. What happens? Well, you just fly off the other edge and go down the mountain, won't you? But when there's a warning sign there saying it's a 15-kilometre bend, you think, I'm so glad someone put a warning sign there. I could have killed myself. Or or what about when a mother who's got a three-year-old daughter or son and they break away on a crowded street and they go running towards the road and she screams out, Stop! You think that's a good warning, don't you? Because that three-year-old could just go in front of a car. Warnings are good things. Warnings are really, really good things for us. Hell is uncomfortable. It's shocking. It's meant to stop us in our tracks. We must never be embarrassed about the doctrine of hell. We must be never embarrassed about the teaching of hell. Jesus speaks often about it here. And don't if people think you're old-fashioned because you believe in a literal hell, well, let them think that. When I read this article earlier in the week, The Absurdity of Hell, I felt sorry for this poor bloke who wrote this article, trying to discredit hell. I thought, thought, you've missed a whole stack of what Jesus spoke about. I felt sorry for him. I'm not embarrassed about it. I I treat it seriously and soberly, and I don't make light of it, because it should never be like that. See, hell is something that Satan wants to quieten down in our lives. He doesn't want it to sort of rise up and actually get us to think about this. He wants us to contain it and just, you know, don't, don't do that. Don't, don't spend time thinking about this. Satan would have us believe it doesn't exist. Just go on living your life. Don't even think about this place called hell. He wants to keep us in a state of blindness or sleepiness or state of distraction or disillusioned or, or, you know, being consumed by this world. Well, we don't think about hell. That's what Satan wants us to do. 
And as I said a couple of weeks ago, unfortunately the church has diminished its picture of who God is. Often the church thinks God is a big Santa Claus God and they don't actually see the terrible majesty of God, which is so true. A large portion of Western Christians unfortunately believe that. It's good for us. It's really good for us to think about hell. It keeps us sober-minded about its realities. It keeps us with a, with a strong focus. It stops us from living frivolous lives consumed by social media. What's on TikTok? What's on Instagram? What's on Snapchat? Think a bit about hell and you'll think a little bit less about Snapchat or Instagram or TikTok or any of those other social media platforms. Not that they're wrong, but we can get so consumed by that. How do I look on TikTok? Have I got the right look? Think a bit about hell. And you won't think as much about what your social media profile looks like on any of those platforms. Hell is a means that God would use to keep us focused on living holy lives. Living lives before him that that uh, glorify him through holy living. Hell lets us know that sin is real and sin is devastating and God is serious about sin. Hell is a reality check that reminds me in my life, I'm on mission. I'm on mission. I have friends and family who are eternal beings. They will never die. And if they choose to reject Jesus, that's where they'll end up. Hell reminds me, I'm on mission. I don't want them to be there. What can I do with my life? How can I show them that hell is real? What can I do with my life? How can I show them that I'm living with an eternal perspective? I've got a bigger picture in mind here other than just TikTok or Instagram or Snapchat or anything else I'm thinking about. I've got something bigger I'm thinking about here. How can I do that? Hell does all those things for us. You might be sitting there right now thinking, gee, that's a lot of negativity, Todd, so far. And it is. Where's the hope then in all of this? Because you might feel like it's a heavy load there. And it is a heavy load. But there is hope. One sure hope that has dealt with hell, that brings us back to God and saves us from God's right wrath in hell. Come with me to 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10 and just see what God has done. It says this, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. What's this passage doing? This passage is dripping in grace and love if we care to see it. Verse 10, this is love, not that we first loved God, no, but he loved us and sent his son for us to reconcile us, to bring us back to him. Well, how does his son Jesus do that for us? It says that he becomes the propitiation for our sins. Now, that's a big word, isn't it? Why did the Holy Spirit inspire that word to be in 1 John. What does the word propitiation mean? The word propitiation means to satisfy the righteous anger of God with a perfect sacrifice. This is what God is doing so that we don't have to face his justice. 
God is holy in every way. And that means his holy character must be upheld to, uh, and so for his holy character to be upheld, he must be rightly angry towards all sin and rebellion. Otherwise, he's not a holy God if he just allows it to go through. He is. His holiness is upheld. And he also must, uh, to punish sin, to maintain his holiness as well. And he does do that, desperately. Jesus becomes that perfect sacrifice and bears God's wrath in our place. What does Jesus do? He propitiates for us. He satisfies God's holy anger by becoming this perfect sacrifice for us. He shields us from God's righteous anger. He propitiates for us. In other words, Jesus wears hell in our place. He bears that in our place. He takes all of our guilt, all of our shame, all of our condemnation upon himself and bears God's right justice towards us. It's a beautiful picture of God's love as Jesus is propitiating on our behalf. That's what the gospel is. That's what the good news of Jesus Christ is. He steps in to do what we could never do and he takes all of that for us. You see, hell is good for us to know about. It sobers us. It's a warning for us and we thank God that he does tell us about it. It keeps us pressing on and persevering on in life. And it's even more glorious to know that Jesus has endured the agonies of hell for us so that we never have to go there. And we will never fully comprehend what Jesus has done in doing that. I can say those words and you can hear them, but we don't really hear them. We don't fully appreciate what Jesus has done. It's only by God's grace that he may just open our minds up to see what he truly has done to save us from going to hell. Here's what I want you to do this week. I want you to stop and I want you to read Revelation chapter 14 verses 9 to 11 every day. Stop and just read through it slowly. Understand here what God is doing for all those who have rejected him. And ask that God will give you a mind to think about eternity. And I guarantee you that will change the way you think about yourself, that will change the way you think about this world. And if you're not a believer, if you did that, I'm sure you'll be crying out, Lord, what must I do to be saved? And you can go back to 1 John chapter 4 and you can see exactly what Jesus has done to save you. This week, every day, read that slowly and let God do a work in our hearts as we think about this fearful place called hell. Now, the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about heaven. There's going to be a, a very large paradigm shift, but we need to actually go through this to get to that, okay? Let me close in prayer now as the music team comes back up to service. Father, we thank you that we can come this morning and approach this very sober topic. Lord, this is not something you preach about to draw a crowd. This is not something you preach about, Lord, to make everybody feel happy in a sense. Lord, I take great hope 
in the fact that you, Lord Jesus, spoke more about hell than you did about heaven. Lord, I hope today that I've spoken about this in such a way that it sobers my heart towards the lost. Even people in my own extended family who I know are not following you. God, I pray let that continue to break my heart for them. And may the least response be that I pray that, they, that their eyes would be opened up to the eternal gospel in Jesus. Father, I pray let that word sober our hearts today as we move on into this world to live but with a degree of sobriety and a degree of seriousness through all the joy and the thanksgiving of living in this life. Help us to hold that paradox or that paradigm in our minds, Lord, of holding these two tensions here. We enjoy your peace, we enjoy your presence, we have joy with our families, but we also understand, Lord, the bus will stop one day. The engine will be switched off. Everybody will get out and everybody will face you. Help us to hold that tension in our minds, I pray. And I ask that through that Holy Spirit, you would point us towards Christ for the salvation that he's given to us and the salvation that we want to communicate to others. Father, we thank you for that hope. We thank you for that love that we could never imagine that you've done for us. We pray, let that hope work in our hearts right now. Lord, we ask that we pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au. Also, we love to welcome new people at Exchange Church in person. So consider yourself invited to be with us.